Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. You're listening to The Curator Podcast. Season 2, Episode 7. An interview with Stephen Gillis from Atlas Empire and Dialects. Stephen, it's about time. How you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? I I am I am okay. Yeah, um, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to finally do this, man. I'm glad to have you here. Um, so, you, have you had the podcast before? I have. Yeah, I've listened to a few of the ones you've done. Yeah. Cool. Do you know how I'm going to start? How are you going to start? Where did it all begin, man? Where did it all begin? How did you get into this state? <laughs> um, music in general, bands and all that nonsense. Aye, aye. Um, it started quite a long time ago. Um, since I was about. Probably 13, 14 years old. I really, really, really wanted to be a singer in a band um, and did that with a few kind of crappy teenage bands, as I think we all do. And then kind of started getting a bit better and I didn't start playing guitar till I was about 16 properly, so a bit of a late, late starter with it. And then that just kind of evolved into doing bands that weren't quite as shit, um, I think. And then here we are, some 16, 16 years later, shall we say. And I'm still doing it, somehow. One of the things we spoke about just before we started was uh, how you're still dicking about in bands at this age. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what do you think about that? Do you think it's time well spent? Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people. Um, I'm now in my early 30s, and I know a lot of other people in my age bracket, maybe, maybe a year or two older, maybe a year or two younger in some cases, have kind of lost away with it and kind of thought... If it hasn't happened yet, it's not going to happen. And I guess what it is varies person to person. Um, I don't really regret anything I've done in music, I guess, because it's either all been something that I'm still proud of or something that's got me to something I've been proud of. But I do think it's time well spent. I think with anything, you need to kind of put your time in. Um, some bands get lucky and, you know, from a young age, get, get signed to a label or whatever when that was still a thing that really happened um, and some of us don't but I guess the main thing and the main reason you know much like yourself that you either keep doing it or keep coming back to it is because you enjoy it and you love it and avoiding sounding too cliched I genuinely don't know what I'd do if I wasn't playing in a band or bands in my case I play in a couple just now writing songs playing guitar collaborating with other musicians I'd, I would be kind of lost without it it's kind of always what I've been about and it took me until I was maybe about 20 20 maybe going on 21 when my band at the time did their first actual tour and I've kind of never looked back since then 
So yeah, it's it's time well spent for me, definitely. What was that about that first tour? Uh, it was pretty pretty wicked. We did our first ever tour with Devil Soul to Soul, and it was their first ever tour, and a band called Second Smile. Um, Second Smile were on BSM, Big Scary Monsters. And now one of their guitar players and their singer Ross now plays in Lonely the Brave years later. So he's doing really well and obviously Devil have kind of always been going and kind of gone from strength to strength and changed lineups. So I think for that to be our first tour, um, we obviously we've done some shows in other parts of Scotland. Um, initially the band were based down in Greenock and Inverclyde and we kind of migrated to Glasgow. Um, but I think that been our first actual tour, first English shows, first shows you know out with Central Scotland was a pretty awesome way to start because most of the shows were pretty packed. It was a kind of rock sound sponsored tour as well, so it had a lot of press behind it. So going from just doing local shows in a small town, then kind of local shows, sort of local band showcase gigs in Glasgow, there was no real stepping stone. It was just this tour, which was awesome, yeah. And still friends with a lot of the guys in those bands and keep in touch with them, like Johnny Renshaw, who plays guitar in Devil. He mixed and mastered the last Atlas EP, so we've always stayed in touch, you know, with myself and Ross. Um, the other guys from Second Smile, formerly Second Smile as well, myself and Ross stay in touch, like, regularly. So, and that's, that was 2005, a long time ago. So, I mean, can you tell us about the feelings you had when you first did that? Um, just, I don't know, like, growing up in a small town, um, or a sort of triumvirate of towns in the west coast of Scotland, there was a weird sort of local music for local people attitude and I always remember the the band um, that became the Ocean Fracture it was a band called Emberfall kind of emo post-hardcore band and we changed lineup and sort of changed sound but I always remember like we didn't think there was anything wrong with wanting to play shows in Glasgow or play a show in Paisley or play a show in Edinburgh potentially but a lot of the other bands in Gurukh and Greenock which is population wise reasonably large but it's a small small town or trio of towns um, and Inverclyde they had this weird attitude like oh, you guys think you're too big for Greenock and people actually said that about us or well, Emberfall as it was at the time think you're too big for Greenock I remember me and the other guys in the band just being like is that are they serious like yeah we, we'd like to play other places so I guess within a couple of years of kind of dealing with that really close minded quite elitist attitude for a small town music scene um, it was just kind of validating to us that we were all I think myself and our drummer were like 20, 21. Our other guitar player was like 18, 19. Which a couple of years below us to be playing. And we were playing, you know, places like Lancaster and we would play, you know, play the show in London and whatever else. But it was cool to just be playing away from Scotland, you know, and playing places, even though some of them were small towns we'd never been. So it kind of made us feel like we were doing something right as well, you know. So kind of validating and just, just exciting to be going and doing other things outside our, our comfort zone with music I guess One thing that nobody's really spoken about in the podcast and it kind of occurs to me now is like given that you've been at it for so long and we've just kind of spoken a little bit about the first time you, you, you went on a tour Yeah Like is it how would you say would you say, it's, you know, would you say that you uh, learn quite a lot about yourself from doing that Um, with just touring in general Um, yeah I mean I think it it's I guess I've seen over the years in different bands I've kind of felt I took to it quite naturally and I never really found it a strain or a struggle and I guess it's not as if I was going away for three months at a time so maybe if I was doing that it would be a different story or if I'd done that when I was younger but 
yeah, I just think you kind of see from an early stage, even with tours like that, which people in the band are are kind of not cut out for it, but kind of like who's enjoying it and who's maybe getting a bit homesick or, you know, whose bus hygiene isn't the best and you need to shower after the show. You must shower after being on stage, real. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, as I said, with with doing that, like, it'll be, it was 11 years ago in September. Um, I remember that. And it's been kind of, it was sporadic for a few years because that band at the time didn't really tour that much. Um, not as much as I wanted us to. Um, and when we did, it was quite short runs. But I guess since probably 2013, since the first couple of out with kind of Glasgow um, tours of the Atlas Empire that we toured with Axis of the end of 2013. And that was the longest time I'd been away on the tour before. That was like 12 days. And kind of built on that since with going into Europe and stuff. So, yeah, I think you do learn a lot about yourself. And I guess about how much that half hour or maybe sometimes 40 minutes you're on stage, everything the rest of the day is that, as all bands will tell you, is just waiting and, you know, travelling and being stuck in traffic and smelling other people's farts and stuff. But it's all part of it for me. Like, I enjoy, like, when I go on tour, like, um, my friend Graham Wright, who used to sing in a band called Zachariah, he's been in a bunch of bands. And ironically, my first ever tour was when Graham and I first met his band at the time. Nothing From Nowhere were the opening band at King Tut's in the Glasgow show of that first tour with Devil. So we've known each other a long, long time. And um, and Graham and I are kind of the same, like, he, he drives, but he, you know, he, he mucks in with load ends and does your merch for you and kind of effectively TMs pretty much. Nine times out of ten, if there's like, oh, we've got a place to stay and there's maybe only room for like X number of people, we're like, we'll sleep in the van because it's just being on tour. Like, I think I enjoy kind of everything about it. Um, apart from like getting shows cancelled or you know that kind of crap but everything else even just the roughing it in a van and maybe maybe not going to shower every day it's just part of it man it just feels like you're touring I don't know I think from reading Kerrang and Roxanne and stuff when I was younger and reading about the bands I sort of idolised and, and you know it's kind of where I wanted to get to they all slummed it at some point really you know in any genre most bands paid their dues and kind of feels like that that's just part of it you talked a little bit about Alice Empire, so we should probably yeah. just dive right into that because it's the most pertinent thing, apart from dialects as well, both the most pertinent thing. Yeah. Uh, Jamie's spoken a little bit about how it started. How did it start from your perspective? How did that begin? Well, okay. Um, so I met Jamie in 2008, or the start of 2009, through a mutual friend of ours, a guy called Chris Grant. And we, the first band we played in together, Jamie and I did played in two bands together before Atlas Empire started. So we played in a band called Cavalcades. I understand there's another one from Aberdeen, I think. But um, this was a this was a Glasgow-based Cavalcades. Jamie played guitar and did a bit of singing. Chris was the main singer. I actually played bass. Um, and Paul MacArthur, who used to play guitar in The Ocean Fracture, he actually played drums in that band. So, um, yeah, it was a bit of a, a mishmash of musicians. Um, but it was cool. Um, we did that. And then Jamie and I were also involved in another band after that for a while. Um, we never quite got to the gigging stage with that band um, and that was much more sort of poppy kind of indie stuff so I'd kind of prior to doing that project I'd kind of said to Jamie we should do something together because Jamie I'd kind of heard him first at Open Mic Nights Block Open Mic Nights to be specific doing you know his own kind of version of you know even like Paramore songs but stuff like Death Cab for Cutie and Arcade Fire Radiohead Frightened Rabbit you know, some Bon Iver, loads of stuff, some Damien Gerardo. Um, so we had that kind of folky thing going on. 
um, but then I'd heard some of his electronic music and at that point Jamie was doing a thing a project called Oh You Dancer which was effectively Jamie wearing a luchador mask usually no t-shirt and playing like really funky glitchy electro on a piece of shit old laptop um, so I was like this guy can do a lot of stuff so I was quite interested um, in doing a project that involved more electronics and you know kind of ambient sort of stuff so I tried to convince Jamie to do something and he wasn't wasn't that keen at first okay cool have another crack at this guy so then we'd done that, that other band um, and then Jamie and I both left that at the same time kind of for the same reasons and I sort of said to him like man I've got a bunch of songs that I've been writing since Ocean Fracture ended you've got some stuff as well let's just get together let's work on some music and there was no sort of pretense of this band had to sound a certain way or this band had to dress a certain way or have a certain haircut which was very prevalent in the project we'd just done um, it was very very commercially aimed you know it was kind of marketed at a certain thing from day one not not by ourselves but we'd kind of bought into that to a certain degree for some reason and then we kind of realised that that wasn't what it was about at all and never had been and pretty much I met up with Jamie in Kelvin Grove Park on the 1st of May 2011 you'll get this I remember dates it's weird um, I'd phoned him and he came down and met me and we both effectively resigned from said previous band simultaneously and then I think like a week later I went up to Jamie's and said here's some stuff I've got um, and stuff came together really quickly like we wrote six songs um, rehearsed them with Dave Stephen who was our who was our bass player Dave left recently he was in the band pretty much since day one and Paul again who played drums in Cavalcades and had been the guitar player in Ocean Fracture agreed to help us out on drums until we got a permanent guy and um, we'd actually tried out um, Ross Jenkins who went on to play drums in United Fruit but he he just joined Fruit so Paul jumped in and then six weeks later we played our first show so there was no like there was no kind of messing about it didn't really feel it didn't feel rushed for some reason see retrospectively I think that's nuts it was literally six weeks after Jamie and I sort of sat down we played a show or well, six weeks after we sat down with Dave I guess so it was probably about two two months in total but yeah that's kind of how it came together a bit of persuasion on my end of things and I just chipped away at Jamie till he said yes pretty much still doing it <laughs> still chipping I mean you guys have done quite a lot in that time I mean to think that was only f- like four or five years ago yeah just over five years ago um, yeah we have but like with anything I kind of I'm pleased with what we've done I feel we could have done more I feel there's points where the band's been pretty complacent Um Sometimes it was something I was aware of at the time, but didn't really feel I was able to influence it because of people's circumstances. Um, and sometimes it was kind of retrospectively, I'd look and go, oh, we could have really done more. But yeah, we've done quite a lot. We've, as I said, we did a kind of first bunch of shows in Glasgow and we played with some really cool bands um, in the early days. We supported Winter Sleep, bands from Canada, um, Saves the Day and Old Brother. Old Brother being like one of my favourite bands like the last sort of five, six years. Um, we were involved in uh, King Tut's Summer Nights and things like that. So we did Go North as well, up in Inverness, before it was Expo North. So we had some cool stuff. Um, and then we kind of just looked at touring further afield. Um, but yeah, we released we released a few EPs, one with your help, mm-hmm. and two, two without. Um, and we've been working on this this debut album, 
we've not quite reached Glassjaw or Guns N' Roses ridiculousness with the album, but um, yeah, we've basically been working on getting a full-length album since, I'd probably say properly, since 2000 and 2013, um, and then we started again, kinda, in 2014, and we're starting again in January. Um, so yeah, we've done a fair bit, man. Going to Europe last year was pretty awesome. Um, that was a that was an interesting tour. There was a lot of uh, a lot of potentially disastrous things happened, and we managed to pull through. But yeah, it's weird. It feels kind of like longer than five years as well. But at the same time, when it got to the point where I realised it was the kind of five year birthday of the band, if you like, I was like, oh, it's been five years. Kind of feels like longer than that, but not in a for me anyway, not in a really arduous like fuck. This has been five years like of my life, uh, but it's certainly been interesting. The thing that interests me most about it, and one of the things that I've kind of picked up just sitting here talking to you is, you strike me as being a really driven person. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's probably it's an interesting one because that's kind of always how I've been about things I'm passionate about since I was a kid. Like I've, I guess the way I was brought up was to do the things you care about 100%. That's been a problem for so many other people I've been in bands with over the years. Um, and I guess when I was younger, I was probably a bit more brash and at points maybe quite reactionary and would... I never, this is weird, like, I never really feel that I lost my shit with anybody that didn't deserve it, and it didn't happen very often. But there's a lot of dudes that used to play in bands with me that don't speak to me anymore, and, like, slag me off on the internet like teenagers so I don't know it's weird I think people remember things differently but you know I like to think that anything I've ever said or done with any band I've been thinking about what I view to be the greater good I guess and it's just really simple like it's a conversation I've had really recently with with people like who still play the bands I'm with and obviously with Dave who recently left Atlas Empire um he felt really, I think he really felt he was letting the, the side down. Um, having been in the band, you know, two weeks after me and Jamie started, so pretty much since day one. And I think what I said to him was just the same thing I've said to quite a few people, but Dave, you know, it was far more amiable than other, you know, breakups, as it were. Like, if you don't want to be doing this, don't do it. None of us are getting paid to do this. This is costing us a shit ton of money. If you've got other life priorities, if your heart's not in it the way it used to be, you know, whatever it is, just be open about it just be open and I think that's something that has maybe got I wouldn't say got me into trouble because that's not that would imply that it's an issue but I think the reason there's people certainly in the Glasgow music scene probably the the Greenock scene if that's even still a thing that would go uh, you know that guy's a dick is because I'll just be honest about how I feel it's not that I think there's anything wrong with being a musician or being a band that wants to do it for fun and just have a jam with your mates and you know and that's fine I just that's not where I'm at so I would be open about the fact that I want to do more than that with the bands I play and the projects I'm involved in and I'd ask the individuals that felt differently to be honest about it and I think a lot of the time you're kind of made out to be a bit of a a bit of a monster or a bit of a tyrant pretty open book like this is what I want to do this is kind of what I've been working towards for half my life so I don't really see what's wrong with that man Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f***? 
are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I don't see the reason I ask is because I recognize the similar driver myself. Yeah. And it drives, it fucking drives me personally insane. Like I really, uh, I think a lot of people that I know that I have been and am in bands with yeah might think I'm quite controlling as well and I would really rather somebody else did it I really don't like doing it myself but what I'm wondering is where does it come from in you? Um, I don't I mean I guess it must be from a childhood thing it must have must be getting you know the way I was brought up to apply myself to kind of the things I care about like I didn't really I didn't do nearly as well as I should have in school in terms of you know qualifications and stuff because I didn't care it got to a certain point and I knew what I wanted to do, you know. And there's been a few things in my life, like I did um, karate when I was younger, I did Shotokan karate from about three or four weeks before my seventh birthday up until I was about probably 17 or 18. Um, did that to a national championship level and was a black belt when I was 10 and stuff. And So I was super focused on that when I was younger and in tandem with that I was really, really into illustration and artwork. I used to be obsessed with Marvel comics and Image and a little bit of DC, but mostly kind of Marvel and Image, so X-Men and Wildcats and stuff, Spawn and all that kind of stuff. So I drew and I really wanted to do that. And I, I just think I've I've kind of always been, ever since I was, so I had conscious thought, I've always kind of believed I should do the things I care about to the best of my ability. I think it just comes from that. I guess as well with the music thing, like, it frustrates me when when bands and musicians and whatever like don't push themselves, especially good bands and musicians. And I know people want different things from it. I get that. But if you say you're kind of similar, you must have found yourself frustrated. Like they could just they could do so much more than they're doing. Like if you see a band playing and they're just awesome, or like there's one member, two members who are shit hot, and you're like, man, that guy or that girl could go somewhere. They could fucking do something. And then you meet them a couple of years later, and I guess I said as well, like, being, you know, having a three at the start of Mage now rather than a two, it's a bit kind of like, aye, but are you still going to keep fucking around in bands or are you going to get a job? I'm like, well, yeah, I can get jobs, but jobs are just jobs. That's literally an income to stop me being homeless, but it's not this thing. This thing's something else. Um, And it sounds cheesy and it sounds lame when you're like, that's what I was put here to do, but, like, I just don't feel, even though I was really into martial arts when I was younger, I was really into the illustrative side of, you know, physical art, I guess. It wasn't really until I got into, like, alternative music. Because, you know, I've always heard music growing up. Like, my mum was always playing quite a varied mix of stuff. I totally grew up in The Clash, The Police and Sting solo stuff. But then stuff like Michael Jackson and stuff like Seal. So I always had a kind of wide range of, like, R&B and pop through to kind of post-punk and stuff growing up. And then, as like any kid of my age did, like I'm sure I had a Robbie Williams album bought for me, and um, my first, I think my first music that was bought for me was um, PJ and Duncan. Remember Ant and Dex, Pop Out Egos, You Crazy Cats with the K's. Um, but I came on from there, the Spice Girls album or some bullshit as well. I was like primary seven, um, and then I got into like alternative music, and again it was just. You'll remember yourself when you first get into whether it was through punk or whatever. Like, my first thing was I'd heard like Guns N' Roses, I'd heard Metallica, and I was like, yeah, this is kind of cool. Um, and then I heard 
within the space of like a couple of weeks I heard Pedal Jam, Soundgarden, Nirvana, Foo Fighters and that's quite a wake up for like a 12 year old kid to be like oh wow this is great that led on to a whole host of other stuff and then going down weirder more you know heavier routes here in bands like Botch and Dillinger Escape Plan via At The Drive-In and Glassjaw and Thursday and all that kind of stuff just became kind of obsessed with it yeah so yeah the, the, the drive thing I, I need to kind of attribute that to my my mum like my my uncle and my grandpa growing up I guess um, I don't remember there being any any standout thing that made me think I always need to, you know, be the best at what I am. I just, I just don't see the point in doing things half-assed if I care about them. I'm a restless. I am sometimes, yeah, yeah. I'm okay, I'm pretty steady just now, despite the caffeinated beverage. I guess I just don't believe in reincarnation. I don't believe in a life after death. I believe I've got one life to do stuff with, so... I don't really want to mess around and waste time. Like, I don't see the point. And yeah, I think I've always subscribed to thinking with my heart and not my head. Again, as maybe cliche as that sound, it's the way I've lived my life. So yeah, I could have gone to uni and got a career and, you know, done band as a hobby. And I know guys who've done that and they're totally happy and they've got a really good job doing, you know, doing graphic design or doing accountancy or doing whatever and you know they can afford like because they've got the great salary they can afford to buy a, a custom shop strat or they can afford to buy a, a DW kit and you know that kind of stuff but they're kind of a slave to the wage as well whereas I would rather slum it and comparatively slum it obviously I'm not exactly destitute but again that's thanks to my girlfriend's generosity and my friends and stuff but yeah there's definitely been sacrifice financially and probably mentally as well to keep doing bands for as long as I have especially doing two fucking touring bands for the last couple of years that's been tough I was going to ask I mean you say um, the way you said it there as if it's not a hobby is it not a hobby to you then? I don't know like I think calling it a hobby for me trivialises it a little bit that's interesting yeah I guess it's, it's just perspective isn't it like because speaking to Connor recently, Connor who plays guitar and dialects, who you've you've spoken to before, he spoke about how he's got a lot of free time at the moment and stuff, blah blah blah, and he's like, oh, I should probably get another hobby soon. And I didn't say anything to him because this was through Messenger, but him saying it was a hobby kind of pissed me off a little bit. I'm sort of like, it's not a fucking hobby. But yeah, the thing is, it is, I mean, I guess, what is the definition of a hobby? Hobby's an interest, it's a thing that you do in your free time that you enjoy. I don't think of it like that and the weird thing is see if people ask me like what do I do like perfect example taxi drivers I wouldn't say oh, I work in a call centre I'd say oh, I play in bands I'm a guitarist and a singer in bands that's that's just my instinctual reaction it's not like today I was down visiting my mum um, and helping take two of her cats to the vet um, and the taxi driver just making random chats I was sat in the front was like oh you you working or you uni and I was like, oh, I was like, no, man, no, I've not been at the uni stage for a long time. Um, I said, no, I, I'm not. I said, I, I play in bands, so, you know, I do work, but... And he's like, oh, no. So, I don't know, it's, it doesn't feel like a hobby to me. Nah, it just kind of feels like... It's what I do and everything else to make money is just what I do to make money, I guess. There's no right or wrong answer to that, is there, really, no, you know? Like... 
I think a lot of people would again laugh and be like, it is a hobby, you don't make money off it, that's really, you don't make a living off it, but I think that's a really linear way of thinking. I don't, I think if I called it a hobby, it would trivialise it and it would under, it would underplay the importance of it to me. I mean, things that are important to you, if it's a hobby or not a hobby, it doesn't really matter because it's something you enjoy doing. I think that's mm. the ultimate, the ultimate way of describing it, isn't it? It's like, this is something I love doing and then if I could do it, if I could make a living doing it, I'd be ace. Yeah. Um, hopefully you can one day I mean maybe that's the thing man like when you're 16, 17 you think you're going to be Deftones and you think you're going to be whoever like you know Linkin Park or Blink-182 or Alkaline Trio I mean, everybody thinks that's going to be me playing up there to 40,000 people and you know for, for some dudes it is some guys, some girls get that I haven't yet, that's fine um, am I chasing a 15 year old stream of rock stardom? No have I been at any point in the last probably decade or so? Probably not. I think since I was maybe 20-ish, I've had a fairly realistic expectation of of what can be achieved within, I guess, alternative, alternative music. Um, but I, again, I don't know, I think there's some people, again, in my age bracket, maybe a little bit younger, maybe a little bit older, who are kind of really really cynical and really bitter about things and don't feel you can achieve anything success is relative in anything you know so if I can keep a roof over my head eat feed my cat ideally not get dumped <laughs> again um, and still keep playing in bands until I'm completely grey and far too fucking old to be doing it that's fine as I said I'm I don't think there'll ever be a point where I'll look back on my life and go, oh shit, I should have been an accountant. Oh shit, I should have... Like, whatever, there's plenty of time if I decide in another five years that I want to... It is going to be a hobby, like, as in a total pastime. Like, I'll play guitar and I'll write a song every once in a while. Cool. If I'm still doing this in 15 years and still playing the same level of gigs. If I'm happy, I'm happy. But as you said, it's, it's what you do, it's what you enjoy. I wouldn't be here and I think it's mental that anybody does this for any length of time and almost resents it. It's complete. I can, I wouldn't say it's, I can understand why people might. But it's behind the curtain, do you know what I mean? Just yeah, but like. You kind of know, you kind of go, this is all racket, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, just don't do it then. Yeah, like, exactly. stop and don't be one of these dickheads that's like a keyboard fucking gangster, like, you know. I hate people that, and I found this, you know, there's, there's people in Glasgow who are guilty of this, certainly, um, you know, of being, criticising people for trying, criticising people for, like, doing things, like, you know, cool, so I do a music video for my band, that doesn't make me a prick, I, I'm just doing a music video because I like, that's cool, I grew up watching Kerrang and Rocks and Scuzz and, like, you know, seeing bands do videos and, you know, so I want to do that for my band and it's up to me how I spend my money and it's up to my bandmates how they spend their money so cool or like you know we do a promo shot like so what and so many people as, as you well know get their nose out of joint with that kind of shit and they're like oh they think they're this and they think they're that and I'll oh, check them out and like typey typey keyboard gangster bollocks and it's like man conserve your energy and do something just focus on your own life like these people have got like put it into something constructive see if you don't want to do that you don't think that's how a band should conduct themselves cool I'm not like Ollie Sykes pissing on a 14 year old's face I shot a video big deal do you know what I mean like 
it's weird, but I think there's that total guilty, guilty um, parties, I should say, are guilty of, oh yeah, like, criticising as if you're a tryhard just because you're not sat in your arse playing the odd gig. There's no right or wrong, that's what I'm saying, see, for the people that do want to just go to a practice room every once in a while and play the odd show, you know, in small venues, fine, that's absolutely fine, do your thing. Just, you know, leave me to do mine, pretty much, like, or don't, like, just don't expect me to bother with you. It's weird. Everybody's got their own uh, definition of what, of what, like, being a particular kind of being an unsigned or DIY band is, you know, and it's there's got infinite fucking permutations. DIY is hilarious, right? DIY. DIY band, though. What's that? A We're band. a completely DIY band. The only time we've not been a DIY band was when we were involved with a lovely Glasgow record label called Coral <laughs> Legacy. That's the only time we've not been 100% self-financed. Every band I've ever done has been a DIY band, and it doesn't matter whether it's a post-hardcore band, uh, you know, a proggy, emo indie rock band, a math rock band, whatever the hell, it doesn't make a difference. It's all been self-financed. It's all been self-funded. You know, every guitar, amplifier, pedal, lead, rehearsal space, merch, we've rented, tour, merch, van. tour, van, everything, music, video, PR campaign, everything, flight to Canada, everything has been self-funded. Like, right up to the point where, obviously, one of my bands got some Creative Scotland funding for our album, but that was, that was a, we applied for that and put the manners into that, but it's really weird, like, and there's, you know, there's certain DIY scenes that exist where to be a DIY band means you have to play a certain style of music. And it's like, well, okay, no. It literally, it take the dictionary definition of DIY. It just means you're, you're doing stuff off your own back and you're, in a lot of times, designing your own posters, designing your own artwork. To, you know, if that's the case. Yeah, we've had other people design artwork for a couple of our EPs that we've paid and they've been friends. And it's been like, I'll do your EP cover for 50 quid. I'll do it for 100 quid. That 50 or 100 quid has come out the pockets of the individuals in the band at the time. It's really weird. But as I said, it's, there's numerous permutations and there's just a strange, I find with certain people there's a strange attitude to, and it, that ties into what I was saying about, you know, keyboard gangster bitchiness about, oh, this they did a video or, oh, did you see they were in this magazine and, you know, backhanded sly comments. And it's like, man, just do something constructive with your time. Surely you've got something better to do than look at what my, my band's doing on the internet and troll, like, just grow up, man. It's really weird, but it's funny, like, obviously, there's times where you see something and you get a little bit irate about it, but generally now it's just, yeah, it's really weird. I think if you're a DIY band, great, regardless of your genre. And if you're not a DIY band, great, because you're being, you know, given money or funded to do something. You can still work hard, even if you're not paying for your own stuff, you know? Um, I'd love to have a record label just give me money to do stuff, that'd be great. That'd be nice. You know, but as would most of these people who either are or were musicians, if they were put in a situation where they wouldn't have to compromise their art, compromise their music, compromise their integrity, but a label would be like, we love what you do, so we're going to give you this advance and we're going to give you these royalties, and they would go, oh shit, I don't need to work a crap job and be a better dick anymore. I can just write my insert genre. I can just write my such and such songs and play my such and such shows and that'll be fine you know it's weird but again it's just perspective man as I said people have different ideas of what's acceptable and what's ethical and you know not ethical um, in music and it's obviously it's very very uh, it's very subjective as a, as a DIY band which I'm going to say um, 
You pay, you've paid for PR campaigns before. Where does yeah. that, where does that sit in, in your kind of outlook as a musician? Um, is that a necessary evil? Is it something that has to be done? I don't know. Again, I feel that from previous past experience, I think the the landscape's changed a lot in the last ten years. Certainly, probably five years. I don't think it's necessary, and I think certainly some people would argue it's you know it's not necessary, and you're paying these people for nothing, and you know you can do it all yourself, and that's probably true. Like you know, to a certain extent, I think that there is so far but you get for example you get X big booking agent and X big booking agent are booking a tour for Y your favourite band if you are an unsigned band with no kind of management or PR or anything representing you you get ignored nine times out of ten it's an unsolicited email or whatever right and that's that and that's across more or less any genre I'm sure people in the kind of punk and hardcore scenes would think, nah, that's not punk. If it happens in every genre, you'll be ignored. You know, so if you're in tight with a local promoter and, you know, it's a friend or someone you've done shows for and they pick you up to do, to support this band, the local venue, then Wicked, and that's, you know, that's happened to bands I play in. We've got to, you know, support some cool people. Couldn't get on the tour, obviously, we've got that local show, but I think my first experience of working with a PR company was when, when Alice Empire released their second EP, um, Somnus that you're familiar with and we worked a Badge of Friendship PR um, just for a few months just leading up to the release and month of the release and uh, the thing is the market like the music market in every genre is so oversaturated and unfortunately the way the, the market's changed and I guess you know, PR companies have become more of a necessity because you know one band did it so then the next band did it and it's that chicken and egg thing like you know, maybe at some point they weren't as necessary as they are now, but then again, you've rewind 15, 20 years, you had labels, major labels and indies and subsidiaries of major labels signing bands based on, we've heard good things about this band, we're coming to the next showcase in London, and then an a guy comes up and talks to that band. That must still happen, right? But in what kind of minute percentage? Like, how, how often do you think that happens now in the UK? Like, an a guy comes up to... You know, a band at a gig and goes, I caught your set, I thought you guys were excellent, like, email me stuff at this thing, blah, 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 blah. Like, that's used to be a thing, I think, but it's, it's not a thing anymore. And it's certainly never really happened to any band I've played in um, or any bands that we know in our, our kind of scenes. So I think for if for me, if I'm wanting to do a band and I'm wanting to, to reach people, and reach is the key thing, like, social media is great, and it is, and it, it works, and it's, it's you know, it's quite a fickle thing as well these days. You need to know how to maximise your your out your outreach and stuff. But I think the difference between you know just putting out a, a CD, whether it's an EP or a, a vinyl or an album or whatever, the, the difference between just putting that out and telling your friends about it and sharing it online and then touring it, versus it being you know put on Punktastic or you know Rock Sounds website or Clash Music or something. The, you know that's well beyond what most small unsigned DIY bands can reach so yeah I think I've seen crazy results come from doing that with with Atlas Empire and more recently with Dialects like we went to Canada this year that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't had PR because we wouldn't have had a song of ours played on a Canadian like internet radio station for kind of post-rock and instrumental math rock stuff more than likely that wouldn't have reached them and then a guy who 
was one of the reps for CMW in Toronto heard that and that that was the link so yeah I don't think I don't think certainly I don't think that band would have done half the stuff we've done without a good PR guy you know um, definitely not I spoke to a guy recently called Ray Harkins who runs an awesome podcast called 100 Words or Less right okay and uh, he has worked in the musical he's from California lives in LA right. lives in Orange County yeah and uh, he's worked for some record labels out there and one of the interesting conversations we had is that this whole the whole culture of like bands paying for PR mm-hmm. is actually a distinctly British thing it doesn't really, really happen in oh, America or Europe which I, f- I thought was really interesting as well and yeah. he's like that's the way the game's played over there and he's like I don't really get it yeah you know um, but I think there's a lot of bands that also throw money away in it like and don't expect don't tour and it's like well yeah you need you know yeah you need to be you need to be PR in something not just PR in your band so when Atlas first did it for Somnus, we were PRing Somnus, the EP. We had a couple of videos to support that, one prior to the release, um, and then you know one that sort of came out alongside the EP. We didn't stay on with that PR company because I mean, it's a good thing that we didn't, retrospectively, even though I kind of wanted us to keep some kind of relationship because we, we wouldn't have done a great deal of touring after the tour with Axis of our next tour that was November 13 our next tour wasn't till June you know so there's six seven months of of not a lot of touring um, but with with dialects we've kept a relationship with um, our PR guy Sai who's at I like press and we've worked with them since before we put out the first EP like we were working with I like press before we released our first piece of music and um, we did a video um, for a song called unknown orbit um, and we started that and Sai has kept us on like we've kept in you know in a relationship as it were with each other since then um but yeah i mean if it is a distinctly british thing that kind of that's fair enough there's i definitely think there's certain things about the music industry in general that are distinctly british um and you know things are different even just the way promote some you know certain promoters and certain things work with booking agents overseas and there's a different attitude to touring musicians i think outside the uk um but yeah, I just, as I said, I just, I'm an advocate of it. And I know there's a lot of other bands from Glasgow, like fr- friends bands and bands in my scene that probably wouldn't have got as much recognition had they not had, you know. And the, th- the thing is, I mean, it's, it's all relative, but you're not talking, certainly for the PR companies I've worked with, I know some of the big guys are, you know, 1500 to two grand a month and stuff, like, which is a, a hell of a lot of money for anybody, I think. But, you know, you're not talking fortunes and fortunes of money. You're talking about what most people would spend on a night out that wasn't a total wild night out. Um, I'm a cheap date, been a, been a non-drinker. But, you know, it's not astronomical amounts of money. And for me to, to be getting an email to say, oh, you guys have got a, you guys have got a feature in, on X website or the video's getting embedded on this website or this, that and the next thing. And then you're seeing the result in that of people PMing you through Facebook or your YouTube views going up or just people getting or people coming up to you at a gig and saying oh yeah I heard about your band because like, I check everything out on you know whatever already heard or the, you know, whatever website and that's how I heard your band again you know if you didn't have that platform and that outlet you know would you've just gone unnoticed so yeah I mean I wouldn't have heard of a lot of the bands I'm into if it wasn't for reading Rock Sound, reading Kerrang, reading Metal, Metal Hammer, Big Cheese being on websites, you know, I'm sure everyone of our kind age groups the same. Like you discovered a lot of bands through the internet, so you know it's the same thing. Just 
you know, I'm, you know, me and the guys in my bands are, my bands are, we're paying for it out of our own pocket rather than a label paying for it. But it's putting money into something you love to help it go further. So I don't, I don't see the, I don't think that's in any way unethical or, nah, not at all. You've touched a little bit on dialects, and we haven't really spoken about it. Yeah. Uh, the the process of, of getting that band uh, out there and doing stuff seems to be have been much quicker than at the Empire. Why? Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's a weird one, man. Like, I suppose partially the fact that I think all the guys in dialects, like, we were a band that didn't really not grow up in public, but Atlas had quite a bit of change early on so you know when we started we had a fill-in drummer and then we got a permanent drummer and then we became a five-piece to a third guitar player so there was a bit of change I guess with dialects the initial lineup of myself Connor and Ali who's our bass player and Johnny our former drummer um, who was also in, in Atlas Empire until last year um, we were all just mates you know um, I'd known Ali for years through the bands he played in he used to run Arc Studios um, and he works works in Merchant City Music, so I'd always known Ali. Um, Johnny and I played in Atlas for a couple of years, and Connor was a guy we'd met when his old band, Without Airplanes, had played with Atlas a couple of shows. So it was just, I don't know, it just it seemed to move pretty quickly, like because Connor had a bunch of ideas for songs, and I think especially because Johnny and I were really used to playing together um, in a band, I think everything just came together really, really quickly. Um, and then, yeah, just a, a stroke of good luck, I guess, man. I think obviously as I touched on with the kind of PR thing like there being a sort of push behind everything that was something that we all kind of wanted from day one like we would get a song we wouldn't record or put out like a demo we'd wait and do a, like a proper kind of first EP good quality recording and then you know we would want to do a video and then the first thing the band did to be a video along with a song and, and push it properly and I guess maybe we just hit a wave of popularity in the UK for kind of instrumental proggy music um, like for the first video we put out the first thing we put out was like shared and retweeted and stuff by Arctangent which is like the big festival in the UK for that kind of music um, so yeah a stroke of good luck as well we also were working our former manager a guy called Kyle who runs Cutloose um, Glasgow kind of promotions company I think we, we did a show for him pretty early on with a band from Japan called Light a really really wicked math rock bands from Japan so I think he just saw us and liked what he saw so we kind of had a guy that was quite well quite well established in the UK scene he knew a lot of the other promoters and other organisers um, yeah so I think that helped move things along as well um, but yeah I mean with, with dialects I guess that music is a bit more niche than the Atlas stuff but it's very popular at the moment and it's been growing in popularity over the last few years. Um, everywhere, I think, you know, bands like Russian Circles are playing huge venues now. Obviously, you've got your Mogwais and your Explosions in the Skies, your Monos that always play big places, but even the kind of heavier, weirder bands playing bigger and bigger venues. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, like, a combination of a lot of factors, I guess, with dialects, just right place at kind of the right time, doing kind of the right music. But, um, well, there's that as well, man. Like, obviously, like, not that, not to discredit any of the guys in Atlas. Like, they've all been playing in bands for a long, long time as well. But I definitely feel that there was um, certainly people in 
if we talk about the, the five-piece lineup of Atlas Empire, um, there was certainly people who weren't on the same page as me, definitely in terms of kind of pushing forward, driving forward. Like now, former members who you know could be great musicians, great dudes, whatever, but they just, as I said, they were more the kind of we just want to have a jam with our mates type guys, which is fine. That's it's, it's his own thing. It's just not the, the it's not the wavelength I'm on type thing. Whereas I think with dialects, everybody was totally like, let's fucking do this, you know, let's let's make stuff happen. And we did our first tour, like just about a year after the band formed. Was it? No, I'm done. Year and a bit. Our first tour was like May 15, and that was with Mutant and the Bounty bands from Luxembourg, who are like one of our like influences and like you know a band that we've totally you know, drawn tons of inspiration from and you know to do the first tour with them and those guys are friends now was amazing and then um, yeah we've done we've played with some awesome bands from all over the world um in our short time and obviously now we've been out you know out the uk and even something like our first shows out with britain not being europe because it's the most commonly you know, followed path for bands as you tour the UK for X amount of years. You go to Europe, you go, you know, you do that, you maybe go somewhere a bit further afield, but for our first non-UK show to be in Toronto was pretty crazy. Um, so I don't really know, man, like why it came together, why things moved quicker. A combination of, I think, a unified drive from all four members, certainly all four members at that point, I should say, and um, just good fortune as well. Are you happy with it, with where you are for both bands now? Um, <coughs> I mean, yeah, uh, I feel it's weird. I feel that um, dialects have done a lot in a short space of time, and because of that, I think it feels that if we are not as busy as I'm used to us being, it kind of feels like we're not doing stuff, even though we are. So, for example, we recorded our album in March. March, yeah, and it was mixed and mastered and stuff and, and finished, and it's been finished since, say, May, June. We don't have a release date for it yet, we don't know when it's going to be available, we don't know when it's going to be out, and that's obviously quite frustrating because you want to put music out and you don't want to look like you're complacent and you don't want to feel like we've done one physical release, which was May last year, you know, so a year and a bit ago, and then we did a single that was digital, it doesn't feel like we're putting out much stuff but I think we know like behind the scenes there's stuff been spoken about and we've got a management company working with us and stuff um, so yeah I, th I think I don't think we could have done much more than we have to be honest it just maybe feels at the moment there's not as much going on as I would like there to be but saying that we're playing a festival on Saturday we're Damnation Festival down in Leeds so we're going to be the, I think the only not super heavy band at Damnation which will be interesting looking forward to that um, with Atlas, um, I feel I feel we could have done more in terms of touring, um, definitely. Uh, and I feel that I would like to have had the album done. It's a strange one. It's a it's a mixed bag, right? Because we're at a point now where there's a couple of songs that will be in our first full length album that have existed since before the band. So the closing song on the first Atlas Empire full length album is was actually written when I was still in the Ocean Fracture, so this is like six, seven years ago. 
and I just a song I wrote and I knew it wouldn't fit that band so it wasn't you know it didn't have a home at the time and then there's some stuff that we're we're doing now with Ben our new drummer who joined the band like properly kind of November December last year and he's been given the free reign to kind of write with us um so I guess the the album when it happens will be worth the wait I, I genuinely believe that but I think for me and for the other guys in the band and maybe even some guys who aren't in the band anymore who, you know, it felt like it's taken a long time. I guess, I mean, a lot of bands are a band for six, seven years before they do an album. But as you said, behind the curtain when you're in the band and you're like, I've been a band for five years and we've not done our album yet. But there's been a lot of contributing factors to that. Um, like, so many contributing factors to that. Um, and I guess I don't want to put out a... I don't want to put an album, whatever, you know, put it out in whatever context that is, whether it goes through a label, whether it's a self-release, whether it's on Bandcamp, whether it's a double vinyl, whatever, you know, whatever that ends up, shape that takes, or form that takes, I don't want it to be something I feel that any of us compromised on. It's weird, like, yeah. I'm very excited about it being finished, but... I also really want it to be finished at the same time. It's strange, man. It's a, it's a, it's a mix of emotions with that record. It seems like uh, lack of compromise is a good way of describing how it's been in your musical life so far. Well, yeah, I mean, there's been times where I definitely have. There's been times, you know, whether it's been a conflict with another member of a band or... Um, I guess there was a while in Jamie and I's project before Atlas... Um, the, the pop the pop thing where we kind of compromised but you know it got to the point where we both knew we didn't really want to there were certain things where we were just like no nah, this isn't what it's about um, yeah I just feel that again not not leaving a legacy as, as grand as that sounds but you know when I'm an old like a really old dude not just a moderately old dude I want to be able to like look and listen back on what I did you know and whether that's an old tour poster or a little, you know, tour laminate with the dates on it or whatever. Or, you know, if there's, if I'm able to listen to old music by the time that happens, whatever kind of media is in. But I want to be able to listen to stuff and be proud of it. And, and you know, and we've all, we've probably all done recordings in the past where, you know, whether it's sort of demo stuff or even in some cases actual releases with bands where you listen back and you're like, there was a bit there you should have done that bit again or there's a bit that kind of bugs you and you know um, I don't want to listen back to you know 10 years from now or 15 years from now whatever when if I'm not doing a band anymore or certainly not doing Atlas Empire anymore or you know whatever that I listen back to the album and you know perfect example like we could have, we could have finished the album and put it out with drums on it by a guy who wasn't the drummer anymore guitar by a guitarist who wasn't in the band anymore and, and now bass and vocals by a bass player and vocalist that isn't in the band anymore and there's recordings that exist that are public domain where every lineup has played on you know so that there's a there's a document there's a record that that, that was a thing that guy was in the band and they contributed and they brought to the table what they brought but it would feel really weird to be in 2017 touring an album or bringing an album out because we're planning still very early works but Atlas are planning to go to the States next year and do a, do a tour um, more on that to be confirmed um, and known as it might end up being 2020 but it's meant to be next year and I want to be with a, a group of people 
Um, and they're on the record. I want them to be in the album. I don't want to be there with a bass player who's not the bass player on the album, and I don't want to be there with a drummer who's playing some of the drummer's drum parts. And I don't want to put a song out that where maybe we maybe thought ah, we could write a better outro for that song now, or maybe I've had an idea for a different riff. Like, shit, that would go really well on that song, you know. So obviously, a song needs to be finished at some point. And don't get me wrong, we still play stuff off all our releases as as they were, um, because those songs were right at the time and they were complete for that, you know, that permutation of the band. But yeah, I feel that when the album actually is finished and when it's ready to come out and be done I want it to be the best you know incarnation of that album it can be with the people who are in the band at the time and are actually involved in creating it I think it's a really good note to end on uh, is there anything else you want to say or anything you want to ask me before we finish um, I'm pretty stoked to find out we're almost neighbours that's cool uh, what else do I want to undisclosed ask undisclosed location undisclosed location yeah absolutely keep that confidential um, no man just thanks for uh, thanks for doing this and thank you for your part in the in the story as well what you're what you're responsible or guilty for depending on your again your perception uh, I'm, I'm, I'm there somewhere I guess yeah absolutely man <laughs> thank you very much oh Steve it's been really great thank you cheers man That interview was a long time coming, I've known Stephen for a while, I even put out one of Atlas Empire's records on my old record label, so it was good to finally sit down and get a chat with him. A few people have asked me when my interview with Andrew Falcus, or Falco as he's known, from Future of the Left will be going online, well, I thought I should explain myself a little bit. It turned out that when I was recording over Skype that my side of the conversation didn't record properly so I need to go back and re-record all of my own parts. And the interview is over an hour and ten minutes long, so it's going to take a little while to do that. But rest assured, we will get there. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If this is the first time you listen to this podcast, please subscribe to it. You can do that by hitting the subscribe button in whatever podcasting app that you're using. Or it could be a, a like button or a favourite button. Either or, doesn't matter. Hit that button so you can get more updates from this podcast and always be made aware when new episodes become available. Until next time. Bye-bye.